Yes, how are you, darling daughter? I am so good, because I just had the most wonderful Thanksgiving with my family, which includes you. It was pretty spiffy, wasn't it? Yes, it was very, very lovely, and I had a great time. Yeah, everybody was on great form, I think, including your new nephew and my new grandson. I know, who's quickly become one of my most favourite people on the planet. Mine too, mine too. So, Tess, back to the serious business of podcasting. I think you've got a topic that you'd like to talk about today. I do, yes, actually, because prior to Thanksgiving, something quite interesting and quite rare happened to me, which I would like to talk to you about. Well, I would like to hear about it. And also, I think it's worth saying at this point, we have been a little bit down in the past on certain TikTok videos. I think today's talk is actually going to include you being a little bit more positive about something that you saw on TikTok, which may have saved your life. Oh my goodness, did I really just say that? I know, yes, and I think... There's more to say about videos or TikToks that are giving out bad information than there is good information sometimes because accurate information is just accurate. Whereas when it's wrong or it's misinformation, there's so much to talk about, about where they went wrong and why it's important to get it right and all that sort of stuff. And so just by nature of how that goes, we end up talking more about the negative ones or the ones that get stuff massively wrong. But yeah, you're quite right. Thanks to a TikTok that I saw about three weeks prior to this happening, I ended up going to the hospital because I suspected I had this thing that was mentioned in this TikTok video. And I did end up having that thing, which can be fatal if you don't get help quick enough. So I was really lucky. I do genuinely think that that video in some ways did save my life. Would you like to name the thing? Um, So yes, I will name it, but I think you might have to correct my pronunciation, but rhabdomyolysis? It was perfect, rhabdomyolysis. But for the purposes of this recording, we'll call it what the medical profession typically call it. We'll call it rhabdo because it's a little bit easier to say. The doctor actually, I was like, rhabdomyolysis? And he was like, you can just call it rhabdo. We just call it rhabdo. So even he said that. Exactly. So Tess, take it away. Tell us your story. Well, basically, I went to a CrossFit class on Monday evening after work and I ran there. So about two and a half miles, around eight-ish minute per mile. So not slow, but not super fast. I did the workout, which was a lot of arm-related stuff, like push-ups and rowing and renegade rows. And then I walked home. And the next day I felt quite stiff, which I expected. The Wednesday, now two days, I felt stiffer. But, you know, I I knew that you get most muscle soreness two days after so I wasn't alarmed yet. So we should maybe just point out that you're used to feeling stiff and sore because you've always been active so somehow this felt different. Yes and I I think we might have said prior but I played division one rugby when you talk about soreness the day after an 80 minute rugby game where you're just getting tackled and tackling constantly you're, you're quite used to like full body soreness and it felt worse than after a rugby tournament which I knew then something was weird because I was like I've never felt this sore and I've done harder workouts before. In fact I think you told me it was so weird and so uncomfortable didn't you actually have to get a friend or a colleague to put your hair up for you you couldn't manage? Yeah that's when I was like oh I really messed up here because I did I had to ask my wonderful co-worker Megan if she could put my hair up for me because I couldn't get my arms higher than directly in front of me so I couldn't get them up all the way up to put my hair up. Just a quick recap Monday evening was the exercise you've got progressively worse and worse we're now at what sort of Megan's putting your hair up it's Thursday lunchtime? Yes it was Thursday uh, at work that she had to put it up for me so 
I immediately then was like, this is weird because it's past two days now. I should be getting better, not worse. But I was still kind of under the assumption that I had just overdone it on a muscle group I maybe don't do as often. I definitely do more legs than arms. But then Thursday night, I just could not sleep. My arms were so painful. I No matter what position I would like prop pillows up, try sleeping on my side or my front or my back, and no matter what position I was in, they were just like agony and at that point I was something's wrong and I I felt like my muscle was sort of gonna like explode and at that point I remembered a TikTok video (laughs) yeah so basically in this TikTok video this nurse and I've been trying desperately to find this video so if anyone listens to this and and knows a video please send it to me because I would like to thank her I mean if you think about how many videos people are posting on there daily unless you've saved it which I can't seem to find it it's just it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, especially okay. if the video isn't titled Everything You Need to Know About Rabdo or anything like that. Righto. So if you're out there and you made that TikTok or you know which one we're talking about, please send it to us. Back to the story. So you're lying in bed, your arms feel or your muscles feel like they're going to burst out of the skin and this TikTok video comes floating into your head and what happens next? Yeah, so I hadn't thought about it until that point, but I remembered that the nurse said the worst thing I ever heard was a grown man screaming for his mother because he felt his muscles, his his leg muscles, in fact, were going to just explode out of his skin. And for some reason, as soon as I started feeling that pressure in my arms, I just remembered that line. And I remembered what she said. I, I couldn't remember exactly what it was called, but I remembered it had a long name. And she said that he had done a CrossFit workout and overexerted essentially and that then he got this thing which I couldn't quite remember the name of and his muscles were about to explode and they had to cut his leg open to release the pressure so at this point I'm thinking that what I have sounds quite a lot like what he had so I I went to google and I googled crossfit class muscle soreness injury leg cut open or something like that kind of all the keywords (laughs) I could remember and the first thing that came up was rab and as soon as i saw it i was like oh that's what it was it, immediately i was like that's what it is as it got worse and worse i was like right i need to go so at this point i think it's probably 2 a.m on friday morning and i ubered to the hospital and just walked in and said hi this is kind of weird but i did a crossfit class on monday and i can't move my arms now and if they, they feel a bit like they're going to explode i knew it was quite serious when they said okay jim's going to take you in now and they didn't ask for my insurance <laughs> At this point in the hospital, especially when they rushed you in, what were you worried about? What what did you think might be the extent of the, the problems? Well, at this point, I was thinking, I think I really might have this thing. And I knew from Googling it that it can result in death or kidney failure or severe like kidney problems. And so I was, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to trust online because WebMD thinks you're dying constantly um (laughs) but but this was like every article said can be fatal it didn't say what percent of cases are fatal but it said that consistently and a lot so i knew that that was a possibility my thought was i think i really might have this they're rushing me in i hope my arms don't have to get cut open and i also hope that i don't die (laughs) in which order (laughs) i I think honestly all at once (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll talk about why those were pretty reasonable fears in, in a few minutes. But um, what kind of tests did they do on your tests? So the, the nurse was asking very specifics about when did you do the workout? What was the workout? That kind of thing. And then the doctor was immediately in there and feeling my triceps. And I had seen when Googling this, it said that the symptoms could be darker color urine, significant muscle swelling. And so I didn't 
I think have the, the urine issue, but then I looked, I had measuring tape and I'm, I take measurements relatively often just for fitness purposes and so I measured my arms and they were both about an inch. Tess can I just say I love that you think that that's normal (laughs) I don't think I've ever measured my triceps but you know moving on. Oh really I measure I measure my neck my triceps (laughs) everything (laughs) I don't know I think that might be me thing too but I'm always fascinated if if I'm like oh well I've gained weight but also my these muscles are bigger that's fine but yeah so so thankfully I, I actually had that data I knew how much my triceps usually measured and they were always about 12 inches and then I measured them and they were about 13 to 13.5 inches I kind of went in and I I was so I think I have this my my pee is fine but my muscles are about an inch an inch and a half bigger than they usually are have been like I've done the pre-screening um I think I have this but erring on the side of you never want to be that patient that thinks they know more than the doctor so I was being like well I've googled this but you're the professional you've got all the the experience i just saw a tiktok video so yes I, the, I just saw a tiktok video and i think i may have this that can be an approach that doesn't go down super well with the medical profession so it sounds like you played that just right yeah i basically was just this is when i did the workout and gave the specifics he told me as he was feeling my arm that he was checking for compartment syndrome you know when that guy had progressed to the point that they were cutting open his leg it was because he'd reached that stage when he said he was checking for that in my arm i was like okay so he must also think potentially it could be this so he's he's poking you he's measuring your triceps what else are they doing at this point yeah so while he was feeling my arms and like checking for compartment syndrome the nurse was taking blood and they were setting up ivs and then she came back shortly with morphine and said oh we have to give you morphine as well which also to me I was like okay there must be something there because if this is just regular soreness I don't think they would have given me morphine so at that point I didn't know if I had rhabdo or not but I knew that there must be something going on did they do anything with the pee yeah probably halfway through the first IV bag I was like I really have to go to the bathroom now but you know I was was hooked up to this thing when the nurse came back I said can I pee and she was like yes here's a cup just pee in this cup and then come back so I assumed they were testing that for something as well. So before we go into the nature of what they were testing and what that was telling them, just give us the end of the story. So they gave you, what, several bags of fluid? Yes. So early hours of Friday morning, I had several bags of fluid, the morphine, and then he was very nice, the doctor, because I kept being like, is this going to be expensive because of my health insurance? Because we do live in America. So he was really nice. He was like, listen, I would keep you here for the next few days. I can keep you here and give you the IVs because that's what we really need. We need to flush this out of your system and like out of your kidneys, essentially. But if you can promise me that you'll drink your body weight in ounces of water at home, then you don't have to stay here, aka you don't have to continue racking up these bills. So I I went home, I drank the most water I've ever drunk in my entire life. Now I am healthy as a clam. (laughs) Are clams healthy? Is that the right um, saying? I suppose so. It's happy as a clam. Oh yes, (laughs) healthy as a... What is it? Ox. Ox? Strong as an ox, yeah. Okay, we'll go with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So how long, and it's a bit tricky to say because obviously they encouraged you not to exercise and then Thanksgiving came and you've been flying and traveling, whatever, but about how long would you say it took you before you were feeling normal? Well, one of the biggest things was the fatigue. The first day I was home, I slept the entire day and the entire night. I didn't even really have energy to go get anything. I didn't eat anything. Like, I was just exhausted. I periodically woke myself up to drink lots of water. So the fatigue, I think, was 
the more noticeable thing. They gave me, you know, medication, pain medication for my arms. Once that pain was gone, I was just really left with the crazy fatigue. So that lasted that whole weekend and then was less, but I couldn't walk across the street to the grocery store. Like that was just unfathomable even the following week. So I was able to sit up and, and do some work and stuff like that, you know, and I was very lucky to be able to work from home. But it was like if I would have had to have walked to the bus stop and taken the bus to work, by the time I got there, I would have been exhausted. So I really focused on doing as little unnecessary movement as possible. That way I could sit up and do all my work from home. So really what we're saying is even for a couple of weeks, you didn't have to restrain yourself from exercising, which obviously they wanted you not to exercise. You really just didn't even have the energy to do anything other than just walk from the sofa to the kitchen, the kitchen to the bathroom and back again. Yeah, and it was really tough because I think mentally I was like, I really want to go for a walk. I have cabin fever and I need to do something. But then just sitting up felt like it took so much energy that I I just couldn't even fathom going for a walk. Have you had any issues with your arms or do they feel like they're we're working again? I think they said to you in the hospital there was one thing they were concerned about. Yeah, so he, and this, this was also largely where I went in was I was, if I do have this thing, even if it's not at the stage yet where it's close to fatal, if I mess up my arms, I, I paint shoes. I really need my hands and arms. I need to have those fine motor skills. And so I, I need to go for that reason as well. And when I got there, he said... Based on how long you've waited, you might have permanent nerve damage in both of your arms. My right arm was worse than my left. So certainly most looking at it in my right arm and potentially my left, which was really pretty scary because when I knew that I was like, well, I'm not going to die at this point, most likely, but I don't know for a few days once the swelling has gone down, I don't know if I have nerve damage. And that was really scary because I play netball, I'm quite active and, and I do a lot of crafts and shoe painting and so having a nerve damage in my arm would be pretty terrible. So I was very, very happy when I got full mobility back in both arms. So like right now I can bend my my arm and touch my shoulder, which was something I wasn't able to do for probably five, four or five days. But things definitely appear to be moving in the right direction. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Let me ask you, what were they measuring in your blood? Do you know? I do actually, because I thought, when this was happening, it was the early morning hours on Friday. And so I was like, well, mum will be awake at 7 a.m. probably. And I'm going to need to have some information for her, both as my mother and as a scientist. She'll you want know, to just, know. <laughs> yes, just saying, oh, I'm in hospital, I'll be fine, is not going to suffice. So I sent some texts that was like, hey, just a heads up, I think I have rhabdo. And then a little while later, hey, I have rhabdo. And so I did ask the doctor for as much information as I could. So I did find out they were measuring my CK level, which he told me stands for creatine kinase or kinase or something like that. And I was like, well, I know creatine is what football players in my high school took. And I know kinase sounds like kinesiology, which is something to do with the body. That was about as far as I got with it. I got that number and then I reported that to you to get more information about what that meant. (laughs) You did, you did. What were they looking for in your urine, do you know? Just sparkles, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) just kidding (laughs) oh I just don't even know where to start um um, no I really I really don't know what they were like oh you know what probably my I mean I'm assuming something to do with my kidneys right well they were looking for something called myoglobin you mentioned that on the tiktok video the nurse talked about having brown urine was it on the tiktok video you mentioned it somewhere I, I don't know if it was either there or when I was googling it afterwards but that seemed to be like a thing that came up a lot and that was also a symptom that I didn't have 
that was why I was, I've got these other symptoms and I feel really bad, but I don't have that one symptom. So do I have to have all of them to have this? Or I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Okay, so we've got the measuring creatine kinase in your blood and measuring the amounts of myoglobin in your urine. Two different things. What they have in common is that they both leak out of our muscle cells if our muscle cells get damaged. It happens to be easy enough to measure the CK or the creatine kinase in the blood and it happens to be easier to measure the myoglobin in the urine. Two slightly different tests. Both of them are giving information to the medical profession about are your muscle cells damaged? Are they leaking out this stuff. Now, your creatine kinase levels, are you okay to say what they were? Do you remember? Yes, I do, because I remember it being quite high. He said it was 7,600, I think 42. Now, would you have a sense of what a normalish level should be? No, and, and actually, I should have thought to ask that, because he kind of said it matter-of-factly and then moved on to the next thing. I know that with your body, you've got millions of cells, so... 7,000 of something doesn't seem implausible when there's thousands of this and millions of that in your body. But when I Googled it, or you said it to me, I can't remember which one, the range was, I think, up to 120, at which point I was, oh, I'm about 7,000 above that. When I did a little bit of research then, because I don't have these numbers at my fingertips, it seems that the medical profession wants our CK levels to be less than 150 normally. So 7,000 and change... That's way above 150. I will say that when I was trawling around the internet doing a bit of research on this, I did find some people in hospital with severe rhabdo with levels up plus 20,000. So while 7,000 is horrendous compared to 150, it could have been even worse. Yeah, that makes sense too, because when he came back to tell me I had it, he said, when, when was the workout again? I said, Monday evening. And he was sort of doing the math of, he was like, okay, yeah, that should be way lower by now. So we all need creatine kinase in our cells. It helps us produce energy. But what we don't need is lots of it in our bloodstream because then it tells us that it's leaked out of muscle cells. So that's that first test. Now, the myoglobin is kind of interesting. Does myoglobin sound at all familiar? It does. I feel like it's globin reminds me of blood, like hemoglobin. Yay! Absolutely. So whereas we have red blood cells that are stuffed full of haemoglobin, anytime you see myo, M-Y-O, at the front end of a word in biology, it's telling you it's something to do with muscle. So myoglobin is a protein that's like that haemoglobin, but instead of being inside red blood cells, it's inside muscle cells. And if it's in your urine, then how has it got there? It's got there by leaking out of your muscle cells. That makes sense because that's what he essentially explained the whole thing was, was that my, my tricep muscles were breaking down and leaking something naughty into my bloodstream. Absolutely. These muscle cells are leaking creatine kinase. We're measuring that in the blood and they're leaking myoglobin and that's coming out via our kidneys into the urine. And if you've got lots of myoglobin in the urine, it's going to make the urine take on a progressively browner and browner colour. If you look at people who've had rhabdo, you'll see them describe, or severe rhabdo, you'll see them describe their urine as being coffee coloured or Coca-Cola coloured. Yes, and that that is what was interesting is, I don't really ever remember, I think it was dark, like a dark apple juice, but but never outside of the range of being slightly dehydrated colored pee wow this is like such a fun evolution that we're talking about my pee um (laughs) podcast this will um... never happen again we will never (laughs) talk about your pee again so i think we can assume that your myoglobin levels in your urine were not dreadful and that's actually really great because one of the big problems with rhabdo and you talked about 
the potential for dying. And the potential for dying from rhabdo really comes from our kidneys failing. And kidneys fail in rhabdo because that myoglobin, which should be inside the muscle cells, leaks out into the blood and then it comes through the kidneys. And yes, it comes out into the urine, but it also gets trapped inside the kidneys and starts blocking up the little passageways in the kidneys. The kidneys can't function when that happens. So that's why we get very concerned about the amount of myoglobin in the urine, because if there's a lot of it in the urine, there's a lot of it potentially going to block up the kidneys. And that's a really serious state of affairs. Yeah, once I knew all of the potential bad outcomes that could have happened, I kept saying, well, I was really unlucky to get this, but then I was very lucky that I didn't get any of these bad endings to it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Living with chronic kidney failure, is it's a pretty dreadful way to live, having to have dialysis or even kidney transplants. When our kidneys fail, that can make it very difficult to maintain the right levels of sodium and potassium in our bloodstream, and that in turn can lead to heart failure. They were also worried about the nerves in your arm, and that would really be a pressure thing. With the swollen triceps, if they are swollen enough that they then start pressing on the nerves, nerve cells die pretty quickly in that sort of situation. So all of these things, that's why they're treated this very seriously from the minute that you arrived at the hospital they were really great I was very very appreciative of them and I do think that perspective is everything right and I said to the doctor so I'm supposed to be playing in the US Open next Saturday and he went "Uh, yeah you're not gonna do that um (laughs) so it was pretty clear pretty quickly that 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 would not be happening and that potentially I might not even be able to go so I kind of immediately mourned that because I was so excited to play we I we built up this amazing team in Austin and I was pretty heartbroken initially, but then realizing how much worse it could have been actually made that so much more manageable. So a lot of my teammates were like, oh, are you just absolutely gutted? And I was, you know, yeah, but weirdly I actually feel really happy because I didn't die. It looks like I don't have any kidney problems. My arms are fine, no permanent nerve damage. So overall, I'm actually really happy. I so agree, Tess. We're very glad to have you here and we're very glad to have you here in a healthy 100% back to normal state. By the way, I think we need to do, and I can't believe it's me doing this, I think we need to do a quick British-American translation test. It's normally you who does this, but gutted? I don't think Americans say that in this context. Oh, interesting. Okay, I was super, super disappointed. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now all of this is finished, as in the health aspects are finished, what questions do you have about this whole process? Well, the the main question, and actually one that I still feel I don't fully understand, is how did this actually happen? Because the workout was hard, but, but no harder than ones I do on a frequent basis, and certainly have done much harder workouts in my life. I used to compete in Olympic distance triathlons. That's multiple hours of strenuous physical activity. So I was, really? This one arm workout did it? So how did I get it? Well, I love the faith that you have in me, Tess, and I'm going to have to say straight away, I don't have an absolute answer, but I do have some thoughts. Because for the record, just outside of you being a smarty science person, you're my mum, so I do expect you to sort of know everything. Oh dear, now the pressure. Well, there are, were a couple of things that jumped out at me about this story. So the first one was when I asked you about what kind of exercises were you doing, it felt like you'd spent a lot of the workout focusing on two small muscle groups, as in your right triceps muscle group and your left triceps muscle group. For anybody not sure... The triceps is a group of muscles. The clue is in the word tri at the beginning. It's a muscle that's made up of three muscles. You'd done a whole load of exercises that just seemed to use these two muscle groups. That was the first thing that I thought was a bit odd. 
And then when you described to me, and we won't perhaps go too far down this route because it's difficult describing exercises to people via a podcast rather than a video, but the exercises that you mentioned to me, it seemed like you were doing a lot of what we call eccentric exercises using your triceps muscles. So eccentric exercises are any time the muscle has to work to slow down or stop a movement. The best example I can give of eccentric work is when you're running down a hill. If you think about bombing down that incline, gravity is, wants to pull you over and you actually have to do work in your leg muscles to counteract falling down. Actually, I did cross country in high school and I always remember you saying People think that hilly courses are bad because of the uphill, but the part that gets you the next day is that downhill. Absolutely. So we call that work eccentric work. Any time when we're using our muscles and our muscles are having to lengthen to control the movement and think about it as controlling the movement in either slowing or stopping down a particular movement. You did a lot of different kinds of push-ups that day. And if you think about just going into a push-up, as soon as you start going down towards the ground gravity is trying to pull you down so you actually have to use your muscles your tricep muscles to control yourself as you lower your chest to the floor so that you don't just fall down in a heap and it seemed like when we looked at the the workout that you'd done you'd actually done a ton of tricep work and all of that tricep work was where we were asking of your tricep muscles for them to lengthen and that seems to be much more likely to give rise to rhabdo, rhabdomyolysis. So that's the first thing that I noted. Secondly, you may have been a bit dehydrated. It's Austin, it's always warm. You ran there. That appears to be a contributory factor as well. But both of these things, you know, I kind of feel you've probably done this workout before and I feel that you've probably been dehydrated before. So it's still a little bit tricky to see how this happened. One other thing, though, that's quite interesting... Prior to you having rhabdo, who do you think or who did you think was the type of person to get rhabdo? I'm pretty sure in that the TikTok video, it was a guy that hadn't been working out and then attempted a CrossFit class. So I was under the impression of, oh, it's somebody who's working out intensely that is out of shape or not used to a sort of rigorous activity like that. That's exactly what I thought. I swore that in my grey matter somewhere I had heard stories about people, as you said, all of a sudden they wanted to get fit and going to a class or having a personal trainer and being pushed way too hard. And very interestingly, I mean, yes, there are a few people like that, but in actual fact it seems to be much more common to develop rhabdo if you are an experienced athlete or somebody perhaps in the military and the explanation given for this or suggested for this is that athletes, military recruits, tend to be much more determined and are more likely to push themselves beyond a safe stopping point. Do you think that's a possibility? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, when I was talking to my CrossFit coach about it afterwards, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a bit competitive and he laughed and was like, oh, I know. <laughs> I was like, I've been seeing you in class. And I think that being the middle child, the only girl with two brothers and always been in sports my whole life I'm just kind of built to be quite competitive and then when I got to that class it was five men and me and so I was like oh I'm gonna beat all of these men because they don't expect me to and in in really really it's like it shouldn't be that intense it's an evening class just chill out a little bit test me but I was like no I'm gonna beat them and I I finished the workout in about eight minutes and then the second person to finish 
finished a little over 10 minutes and so I clearly had pushed quite hard to have finished faster than them at, at that rate and in fact the one that came second messaged me on Instagram after and said does this mean that I won now when I when he found out I had revved up <laughs> and Brilliant. I was like Actually, I think I deserve to have won that because I pushed so hard I got myself in the hospital. But clearly, like a lot of things, it was probably a perfect storm of I am used to pushing myself too far and then pushed too far on top of that. And I was probably a bit dehydrated and it was probably a workout that had a little bit too much of the eccentric movements in it. And just all of these things together was just a perfect little soup for a rhabdo. Yeah, and as we said, it's really difficult to know because you've pushed yourself on a lot of previous occasions. Eight minutes, ten minutes, that's not really a very long time, although admittedly it can feel like a long time when you're exercising just a single part of the body. But only about 20,000 people will get rhabdo in the US every year. I think we've got a population of, is it about 330 million? So it's really rare. The likelihood is that you will never get it again. But exactly why you got it this time, yeah, it's difficult to know. Yeah, so I I think for anybody listening, the focus shouldn't be on trying to prevent rhabdo because honestly, I could do all those things again and be fine. So I think trying to prevent it happening is harder than just knowing what the symptoms are and knowing when to go get help. You do feel like something's off. That would be a more useful use of your mental energy is remembering those symptoms. I think that's a, a a good point because... We don't want to encourage people not to push themselves. If you want to make gains in strength or in cardio or, you know, pretty much any aspect of fitness, you have to push yourself beyond a comfort level. So we can't really be saying, okay, every time you work out, you feel a little bit uncomfortable, stop. I don't think anybody would advise that. The medical profession wants us to be active. But trust your body. If something feels really off, if that soreness feels different to normal, even if you don't have every one of the symptoms on the the rhabdo checklist, you know, if you have enough of them, go in, go in and get yourself checked out. Yeah, I know that living in America, it can be difficult with health insurance and stuff like that. I believe me, I get that. But ultimately, the longer I would have waited, even if I didn't end up dying, I could have really messed up my kidneys or messed up the nerves in my arms. And so... I'm very happy that none of that happened. So if you think something's wrong, trust your instincts and and go see somebody. Absolutely. We totally understand that not everybody has great health insurance or indeed any health insurance. But if it's at all possible, if you ever have any of these symptoms, you know, listen to your body and go and get some help. Go and get some answers. Okay, I think it's pretty great that you're still here and healthy. And hopefully we've given some useful information out to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. At least we could talk about it on the podcast. So that was a nice silver lining to have at the time was this is going to make a good episode, hopefully. Were you actually thinking that in your hospital bed? Yeah, I went from, I'm not going to play in the open, to being like, oh, I'm really happy I'm alive. And look, we've got more content. Oh, Tess, I love that dedication to the podcast. Yes. See, any, anything for, for you listeners. That's just who we are, Tess, totally dedicated to our listeners. Except that right here, I'm going to go off and have some lunch now. How about you? Um, well, as it's Saturday, I'm going to go for a nice long run because the weather in Austin is actually really quite bearable now. It's very good running weather. Lovely. Well, enjoy that. Enjoy every moment of it. And don't be afraid to run, walk, run, walk if you need to as you're easing yourself back in. I'll stop with the mum advice. Thanks for tuning in, people. And we will be back with you all soon. Yay. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And as a reminder, our conversation here aims to pass along some interesting science and help you develop your sciencey thinking muscles. Neither of us are medical doctors, 
or any type of healthcare professional. So we're absolutely not providing medical advice. You should see your medically qualified professional for that. And whilst all content provided is given in good faith, based on the scientific knowledge base available at the time of recording, if we misspeak or further research changes our understanding or that of the scientific community, we'll try our best to make any necessary corrections, either in a future episode or in our show notes. See See you next time. time!